0: Hold your Bibles up with me. I sure do love seeing Bibles, but I'll but I'll take notes. And everybody should have some notes in their seat. We'll take that and we'll take those notes too. But Bibles are uh, Bibles are good too. Say this after me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Maker Heaven. In Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Pilate. was crucified dead and buried, buried. he descended into death. death. On the third day he rose again. He He ascended into heaven heaven. And and right now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, God's holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. Good. If you look in your Bibles with me, Matthew chapter 9, it's in your notes too. Tonight I'm going to finish up our sermon series that Amber and I preached um, for the last two and a half months. God, for the last two and a half months called Jesus Said What? And um, for the first eight of them, there are nine. By the way, I just looked at the podcast. Uh, right now, last week's sermon is on there, and a sermon from 2014 is on there. So I'm not sure exactly how that works, but you can listen to two. Maybe that means they're coming in, coming back slowly. Who knows? So you can check those out. But the first eight sermons... What I wanted to do is look at things that Jesus said that was a challenge to us. Tonight, I want to look at something that Jesus said that was a challenge to the people that were listening to him. So if you look with me in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to make a couple quick points tonight, and we are going to uh, be on our way. But I believe that God has something very specific that he wants to say to you tonight. To every person in this room, he has a challenge to the way that you think about him, the way that you think about his, his activity. Faith is... Believing God is who He says He is, and He can do what He actually says He can do, and so that's what faith is. And so tonight we're going to look at Matthew chapter nine, which is this um, pretty crazy story, which um, tends to be in the Bible crazy stories, right? Have you noticed that that there is some pretty crazy stuff in there? So we'll look at one of them. So Matthew chapter nine, verse one, it says, "Jesus stepped into a boat and he crossed over, and he came to his home. He came to his own town." Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And at this time, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, boy, that's tough, right? Wouldn't that be tough? Be talking behind Jesus' back. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. I want to give you a couple quick thoughts tonight and um, hopefully challenge your faith a little bit. So let me set the scene. My guess is that you've heard this story. You've heard one or two versions of this story. You might have heard Matthew's version here or you might have heard Luke's version um, over there in Luke's version, he says, he, he gives the details of the story where the guys brought to Jesus and, la- and lowered him down from a roof. Remember that part of the story? Matthew just kind of distills it down to, he, he says, those aren't important details. I want to give you the most important details, and that's what we get here in Matthew 9. So what he does is he says, what happens is, is Jesus is coming back from the other side of the lake where he's been healing people and um, casting out demons and stuff. You know, no big deal, all in a day's work, Right? And he gets back to this side of the lake, and they bring the guys, these four men are carrying this mat with a a paralyzed man on it. Paralyzed just means that his leg, he has no feeling in his legs, and he can't walk. And he was that way from birth. So they bring him to Jesus, and the Bible says, seeing their faith. I want to give you a couple points tonight. The first one is this. The first one is faith is acted out in community. Now look at whose faith that Jesus sees. He doesn't see the man's faith, the man that is crippled. Instead, it says that he sees their faith. Who is there right there? And I'll I'll answer it for you. The there there is the four guys that are holding the crippled man. I want to be very emphatic. And very specific, and I just wanted, I want to make one basic idea here, and it's, just give you one basic thought, and it's this. It is impossible to live out the Christian life outside of relationships with other Christians. You can't do it. It's impossible. This idea that you're going to hear for the rest of your life is, that's going to say, I don't need church to be a Christian, I just want to push back on it and say this, that's wrong. You do have to, you do have to go to church to be a Christian, now, we've talked about this a lot of times, and I'm going to continue to push this on you as, 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 um, as definitively as I know how to be. Christian has to mean something. It can't just be a word that we flippantly toss around and act like it's not. It doesn't have meaning anymore. What has happened is this, is this word has been so watered down that we've attached it to things that it shouldn't belong to. We've attached it to nouns instead of it becoming a noun itself. Christian can never be an adjective. There is no such thing as the adjective Christian. There is no such thing as Christian music. There is no such thing as Christian art. There is no such thing as as Christian restaurants or Christian books. There are no such thing as Christian anything. Christians is a noun. Christian is a noun, and it's a person. And it always means 100% of the time a person that lives their life like Jesus period. It can only mean that, and it can never mean anything else. Christian has to mean someone who lives their life like Jesus. That's what it always means. We don't live in a Christian nation. That would mean that everybody in our nation was a follower who lived their life like Jesus. Do we live in a nation of all Christians? No, so we don't live in a Christian nation. Christian cannot be an adjective. It is always a noun, and so when I tell you this, That in order to be a Christian, you can't be a Christian outside of community. What I'm saying is, we live our life like Jesus. And Jesus not only lived his life on earth in community, but has lived his life in eternity in community. Jesus has an eternal small group. It is called Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit and they have existed since the beginning of the beginning of the beginning and will exist until the end of the end of the end, and there is no such thing, right? There's no beginning. There's no end. And Jesus has existed in the eternal community for all of eternity. And so to be a follower of Jesus, we have to act like Jesus. So this idea that I don't need need to go to church to be a Christian or this idea that you can watch church on television and be a Christian is not true. You can't. You can't watch church on TV and be a Christian. You can't not go to church and be a Christian. Can you go to heaven? Sure. Can you love Jesus? Sure. But that's not what Christian means. Christian means I follow Jesus and I do what Jesus does. So, I, look, you can go to heaven. I don't know. That's for God to figure all that stuff out. I don't, I, I'm not worried about heaven. I'm worried about am I living my life like Jesus today? Is the, is the overflow of my life and the hope that is on the inside of me that has the ability to bring life and fulfillment and purpose inside of another person's life? Is it overflowing and coming out of me? When people see me, do they say he's different and it's because he follows Jesus? That, that's the person bless you care, that's the person that I want to be. That's what I care about. Heaven and hell will work itself out. And we've got to stop living life where we think about, I'm scared that I'm not going to heaven, or I'm scared that I'm going to hell. Forget all of that stuff. Live like Jesus, and you don't have to worry about any of it. Just live like Jesus. That's what Christian means. Christian doesn't mean that you prayed the prayer. Christian means you walk the walk. And to walk the walk means that we that we are in a body, a community of believers that that. That both encourages us, admonishes admonishes us, and holds us accountable to the commitment that we've made. Who in your life right now challenges you when you don't act like Jesus? If you don't have anybody in your life that challenges you when you don't act like Jesus, then you are not a Christian because you're not in community. Got it? And and look, I don't want to make anybody nervous here. Because I just want to continue to reiterate, Christian means I live like Jesus. That's it. That's what it means. So faith, which is the act of believing that God is who he said he is and can do what he says he can do, faith is acted out in community. So Jesus looks at these guys and they say, Jesus looks at these guys and he says, look at their faith. And then he says these crazy words. He looks at this man and he says, Now remember, this guy's crippled. He can't walk. And he looks down at him and he says, Young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but if I had an ailment and I was in front of Jesus and he said, and like I'm laying there and I've been on a mat my entire life, I've never been able to walk. I've watched people run and play ball and do all kinds of fun stuff, and I'm laying on a mat where I've been all of my entire life, and I finally get in front of Jesus because my friends were so, were so excited to take me and put me in front. They, they put me in front of him. Another story tells us they cut a hole in the roof and lower me down, and there I am in front of Jesus in this huge crowd, and instead of him looking at me and saying, get up and walk, he says this, your sins are forgiven. I'd be a little disappointed, right? But that's because we're listening to the story with our ears, we're not listening to the story with the way that, with, with the way that Jesus' hearers would have heard what happens. Point number two is this is that Jesus sees deeper than skin deep. In the, so the Bible, has this, um, the Bible has diversity of thought all the way through it. What that means is there are ideas. The Bible it, um, there's this giant conversation that's going on in the Bible where somebody will say something and then somebody will say, I don't know if I believe that. What about this? Have you thought about this? And then somebody else will say, well, yeah, but did you think about this? So there's this huge diversity of thought and this giant conversation that's going on in the Bible. And the, what's so amazing about that is what it's doing is it's inviting you into the conversation. It's inviting you to think about these things and to, and, and to talk about these things and to be challenged and to challenge one another in these things. So there's this giant diversity of thought within the Bible. I'll give you a for instance. When we think about um, during Jesus' time, there was, this, there was this basic belief that if you, were a, if you were sick, if there was something wrong with you, then it was somebody's fault who had sinned. So there was this dynamic, this connection between being sinful and something being wrong with your body, which would stink for us, right? Like if, like if, like if this is true, that every time you sin something can go wrong with your body that's great so we see this diversity of ideas in the Bible i'll give you a, for instance there's a story about Moses who has a wife named Miriam y'all remember this story um, or at least remember Moses had a wife named Miriam anybody y'all remember who Moses is right so Moses is the is the Charlton Heston right that that uh, that does the um, that ha- tells the does the plagues remember the movie there's the plagues and the plays and the plagues and the, And then uh, Charlton has, you remember, let my people go. Remember that? And he throws, his brother-in-law throws down the staff and it turns into snakes. And remember all that, that whole thing. So that's Moses. So there's a story about Moses. Once the people are finally leave, once the people finally leave Egypt, they're out in the middle of the desert and they just start rumbling because they don't have something. And Miriam kind of starts leading this group of people fussing and being upset with Moses. And the Bible says that she started fussing and and bad-mouthing Moses and all of a sudden she got this skin disease on her body just because she was just bad-mouthing Moses. Can you imagine if you bad-mouthed me and God just struck you with like boils on your body or something? Some of y'all would be in trouble. My children would just be head (laughs) to toe right now. They would have have issues, right? There'd just be like warts all over their body or something. So, so, so there's this idea here that Miriam sins and she gets this skin disease. Then if you look over in like Psalm 32, Psalm 32 is this, is this scripture where the psalmist is writing. And what he says is, he's talking about, he, sa- he says, blessed is the man who has no sin. Blessed is the man who does not live with iniquity. And then he says this, there was once a time when I lived in sin and it hurt my body. I began to have stress and anxiety, and it bothered me. How many of you have ever ever felt anxiety, right, like most of us, right? So this is what, what the psalmist says, is that there was this moment in his life that he sinned, he was living in sin, and it caused great anxiety. Maybe it was so much guilt. He felt so bad. Have you ever done something that was so terrible that you felt so bad about it. Have y'all ever done that before? Um, I I, I have certainly said things before to people, and I regretted it so bad afterwards that it hurt, like it hurt. Like, it, like I was like, why are you so stupid? Why did you say that? I'm so, so, so that? So that's what the psalmist is saying, that there's this connection between living in sin and something being wrong with his body. Then we see this story, you might have heard this guy named Job before in the Bible, right? There's a story of Job. The story of Job has just one really huge takeaway, a bunch of small takeaways, but one really big takeaway, and the big takeaway is this. Job was going through these terrible trials and suffering in his life. Terrible suffering in his life. He had lost all of his children. They had been killed. And his body was diseased. He had boils. I don't, I don't know if you know what boils are, but basically it would be like um, anybody ever uh, been to the beach and you got burned so bad that your, that your skin started making like, like um, bubbles. Anybody ever been burnt that bad? So boils are kind of like that, but all over your whole body. So so Job, and and what happens is, is he goes to God and he says, God, I've done nothing wrong, and yet all of these bad things are happening to me. And God says, you're right, you have done nothing wrong. And the whole big point of the book is to enter this conversation that's happening in the Bible and to say sometimes bad stuff just happens and suffering has nothing to do with what our actions are. So we, see, so we see this diversity of thought that the Bible is just talking to itself. And these, and these men and women are trying to work out this idea, what happens if we do something wrong? Does God punish us with sickness? So Jesus comes on the scene and there's this common sentiment that's going around that if somebody sins, I mean, if someone is sick, then that person um, must have sinned, so much so that... That one day, this, these, uh, the disciples in Jesus are walking by a man who's blind. He can't see. He's never been, the Bible says he hasn't been able to see from birth. And they're walking by this blind man, and the disciples are talking kind of behind Jesus' back. And they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we've been talking, and we just wanna know who sinned that this guy was blind. Was it him or was it his parents? Now think about that question Who sinned that, it was, that he was born blind? Can you imagine if you and I had to receive physical ailments because our parents sinned? We'd be in trouble. I would be up the creek. I would be in trouble. My dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I would be in trouble. And Jesus says to them, you're asking the dumbest question. That's what he says. You're asking the wrong question. And so what happens here in this moment is something absolutely brilliant for Jesus. This man has heard these thoughts all of his life. Can you imagine you've never walked, and your whole life there's this this idea that's around your country, around your people, that you believe that either you sinned or your parents sinned. And your whole life you've heard these thoughts. I must have screwed up. I must have done something wrong. I don't know what I did. I don't know how I could have sinned in the womb. But I guess I did or my parents said something's wrong with me because of the sin, because, of the, some, because somebody did something wrong. Can you imagine how much anger you would feel, how much frustration you would feel? You're like, I didn't even get a chance to sin. Like I was born this way. This isn't fair. Can you imagine how all of a sudden you go, there's, this, there's something about this life that isn't fair. Because I was born with this ailment, with this sickness, with this disease, and I didn't do anything wrong. And everybody's telling me that I did something wrong, so I guess I did. Can you imagine feeling that? We've, we, you guys have heard this thought before, the difference between guilt and shame, right? Guilt is the feeling that you have when you have done something wrong. Shame is the feeling that you have when you believe that you are something wrong. And so what this man is feeling is shame because he sees it every single day. What is wrong with me? This shame of feeling I'm diseased, I'm broken, and somebody or me did something wrong, and, and, and it's not fair. He lives this life of this, this something, this isn't fair. How many of you have ever thought that before? Something happened to you and you were like, ah, this isn't fair. Any any fairness people in here? Like you're the type of person who's just like, this isn't fair. And this is what this guy's feeling. It's not fair. And the Bible says that Jesus sees their faith. He sees his community's faith. Faith is believing God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. He sees their faith, and he looks at this man, and he realizes that there is a deeper issue in his life than his physical ailment. Now, you have to hear this because this is important. Jesus has the ability to discern. He sees deeper than skin deep. He realizes that there is something that is even worse. There is a worse element. There is a worse malady in our life than our physical issues. And he sees his heart. And he knows that his heart is broken because he lives in this thought that the world's not fair. Life isn't fair. God must not love me. Instead, God must hate me because somebody sinned and he did this to me. And Jesus says to him first, hey, now, you know, the problem, with, the problem with reading the Bible in English is we miss some of this tone. So there's this cool word in Greek right here where it says um, in verse, just before verse 3, where it says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. The word there is little, little boy. Now, this isn't a little boy. He's a man. So all of a sudden, I I wish, have you ever gotten frustrated with text messages because they don't show tone? And as somebody has said something to you and you were like, oh, they're chewing me out. And they weren't. They were just like writing a text, right? And so sometimes we don't see tone in Scripture. Now what this is doing, the word that Jesus is using is showing you his tone. And this is what he says to him. Today he would say it this way. Hey, man. Hey, listen, little buddy. Hey, listen, pal. He looks at this little guy. He looks down at him and he says, Hey, I want you to know something. You're good with God. You didn't do anything wrong. Nobody did anything wrong. You're in right standing with God. God looks at you and has pleasure in you. God looks at you. He's pleased with you and he loves you. There are no sins. All of your slate is wiped clean. And... What he does in this moment is he changes this paradigm of thought in his disciples and in all of these people that you've done something wrong and that means something bad had to happen to you. And too often, young people, what we do is we believe that when we do something wrong that God wants to punish us. We do something wrong and God says, all right, that's how you want to live your life. Fine. And that's not who God is at all. God doesn't punish us for our sin. God punishes us with our sin. What that means is sin is enough. God allows us to live in our brokenness until we ask him to take us out of it. And it's bad enough. And so what Jesus does here is he looks at this man and he says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's what you need to understand. This was, this was crazy that he would do this because there was a system of the forgiveness of sins. There was already a system in place. It wasn't like you're in my system, it was a very different system. So, if you did something wrong, so let's say that Grayton, the jerk that Grayton is, one day was walking by Daniel's garden farm, and he began to covet Daniel's donkey. He was looking at Daniel's donkey and he was like, "Man, I wish I had that donkey. that's a good-looking donkey." And Grayton stole Daniel's donkey. He's just like, "I'm taking that donkey, I like that donkey. That's a good-looking donkey." And he took it home with him, and he began to plow his own fields with Daniel's donkey. just stole it. And Daniels is just sad. He's like, "Man, I used to have a donkey, and I love that donkey. And then he's walking by Grayton's and he's so sad and he sees, he goes, man, that looks like my donkey and I know Grayton doesn't have a donkey that looks like that. Is that my donkey? And he confronts Grayton and he says, Grayton, we're not gypsies. You can't just take my donkey. That's my donkey. And Grayton says, man, I am so sorry. You're right. And he gives it back. But it's not enough to say I'm sorry in Jesus' day Then what Grayton has to do is he has to go to this temple. There's this giant temple. He has to go to the temple, and he has to take a lamb. He has to take a little sheep, and he takes the sheep. If he doesn't doesn't want to take a sheep, say it's a long walk. Say he's got to walk like three days to get to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice, and he decides, I don't want to do that, so he just takes money. He gets there, and he gives some money, and and he buys a lamb. He takes the lamb up to this man who is a priest who at the beginning of every single day is wearing this white robe. By the end of the day, it's not so clean anymore. It's just spattered in blood. Grayton goes up to this this priest and he says, Mr. Priest, I stole my friend's donkey. I have made amends with him. Now I need to make amends with God. And the priest says, okay, he takes the lamb, he lays it across, and he takes a knife and he slices the lamb's throat, which is important that we see this. this is, you might think that this is so evil of God, but here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to understand. Our sins cost something. Sin costs something. And what God wanted to do when he made this system was to, to make sure that we understood, hey, this costs something. Now too often we do something and we don't, we don't realize that it costs anything. We're hurting people and we don't, realize, we don't care. It doesn't cost anything. We don't have to pay any. So, so then they slices its throat. Blood goes everywhere. They set it on fire and it burns up. And now Grayton has made amends for stealing Daniel's donkey. Now what Jesus does is this. He looks at this man and he says... Your sins are forgiven. But he doesn't do any of the he didn't do any of the lamb slaying, slaying. He doesn't do any of that. He skips all the way past that system. And in so skipping past this system, he's making a statement about who he is, right? So the, the religious leaders look at Jesus and they're like, you're, you're you're not a priest. You're not from the tribe of Levi. You can't say your sins are forgiven. And they look at Jesus and they say, you're blaspheming. And then Jesus does something crazy. He says, what do you think is easier for me to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to tell him to get up and just start walking? What's easier? Think about this. This isn't a trick question. What's easier for me to do if you're sick in this room right now, Kira? Let's say that you're paralyzed. What's easier for me to do to say, Kira, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, God, heal her. And she stand up and walk. What's easier? Sins are forgiven, right? It's not a trick question. Easier. Anybody can do it. I can say it all that I want. Sins are forgiven. You get sins forgiven. You get sins forgiven. You get sins forgiven. It's easy, right? Jesus says, what's the easy thing to do? He says, but just to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, little buddy, stand up and walk. And the guy stands up takes his mat, and walks off, and everybody is in awe. The Bible says everybody's in awe. They're like, oh, my God, what did he just do? He didn't just heal this guy. He forgave his sins, and he showed us that, what is this? Nobody had to go to, the, nobody had to, go to Jerusalem and do the whole lamb-slaying thing. Jesus said, What? There are some of you in this room right now that have this brokenness on the inside of you. And it comes out. Brokenness always comes out. It's always coming out. There's some of you in this room that are angry, and it comes out. Some of you in this room that are hurt, and it comes out. Some Some of you in this room have been taken advantage of. Some of you in this room have been overlooked. Some of you in this room have been beaten on, not just necessarily physically, but emotionally. And I want you to know that Jesus sees all of that. He doesn't just see the part of your expression that, that you feel bad about later that you're upset and you take it out on your parents or you take it out on your friends or you pitch a fit or you stop caring about stuff. He doesn't, just see, he doesn't just see the expression. He sees the brokenness on the inside of you. Jesus sees deeper than just skin deep. And I want you to know that he doesn't look at you and call you your brokenness. You're not identified by your problems or your brokenness with Jesus. You're identified by your sonship and your daughtership. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God, and that's the only way he sees you. Tonight, I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and that if um, our small group leaders will go ahead and come up front, I'd love to give you an opportunity to pray tonight. There's um, (coughs) a... There's a few things I'd like to invite you to pray about. But the first one is what I just said. And it's just this. If, there's, if there are some of you in this room that have this brokenness on the inside of you and you recognize how it sometimes comes out on the outside and you're tired of being known for the expression instead of being seen for the brokenness. You're like, if you only knew what I'd been through, maybe you would understand a little bit. With nobody looking around, this is a real private moment, with nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor Jeremy, I'm so tired of nobody seeing the brokenness on the inside of me, but instead labeling me the expression that I have. If you'd raise your hand, I, I want to pray with you tonight. Yeah. The second thing is this you say, Pastor Jeremy, I, you talked about being a Christian, I've prayed the prayer but I didn't realize that it wasn't about praying the prayer. It was about following Jesus. And I want to live my life like Jesus. If that's you tonight, and you would say, Pastor Jeremy, either you've prayed the prayer or you've never prayed the prayer, but you're just not walking your life. You're just not following Jesus. If that's you tonight, will you lift your hand? I want, I want to pray for you. I want, to, I, I want to live like Jesus. Good. And lastly, third thing, good. The third thing is this. If you would say, Pastor Jeremy, i got some stuff on my mind. In fact, it was really hard for me to focus tonight. I, I'm not even 100% sure what you talked about because there's some things that are very stressful that are weighing on my mind right now. And, I, and I, if, if Jesus would, would help me carry this, I want to invite him to help me carry this. If that's you tonight, will you lift your hand? You just got a lot going on. Tonight, if you'll stand up for me. and Daniel, if you'll play something. I'm gonna, there, we, I, gotta, I want you to know that I believe deeply that we, that we need to pray about this stuff often. That's why I have so many leaders. Look how many leaders I have. And that's how many people that I expect to come up and pray. I expect to have 15 or 20 or 25 people come and pray because we got a, we got a bunch we're holding on to in here, don't we? We have a lot. And so tonight, if you lifted your hand, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to invite you to come down here and pray. And I, I want you to know that there were five or 10 people that lifted their hand for every single thing that I, that, that I asked you to raise your hand. So you're not going to be down here by yourself. But as I begin to pray, if you'll come down here, Um, I want you to know that we want to pray with you as leaders. You can go to your small group leader. You can go to a different group leader. It doesn't matter. Um, But I want to invite you tonight as I start praying. So let's close our eyes. And if you lifted your hand, let's go ahead and come this way. Jesus, tonight, I know you deeply love teenagers. Go ahead and begin coming if you lifted your hand, okay? If you didn't lift your hand and you're like, you know what? I got some stuff I want to pray about. Why don't you do that too? Jesus, tonight, I ask that you'll wrap your arms around teenagers. Will you show them how deeply you care for them, that there is this brokenness on the inside of us that often comes out in this expression that that's, of course, what people see. Tonight, God, will you show teenagers that they are not their expression, but their sons and daughters of God. Hey, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I, I um I don't do this often, but listen to me.